This is Corinne. And this is Ayani. And you're listening to Sex, Love, Literature, a pop culture podcast where we take a semi-scholarly look at why and how the sex stuff in media matters. This episode, we're doing something a little bit different because Corinne and I have both relatively recently crossed a very important milestone. When we started this podcast back in 2020, I actually Ugh. looked, yeah, right? <laughs> I actually was looking through my Instagram and we posted kind of the check us out, we're brand new kind of posty thing back in September of 2020. So mm-hmm. this is literally almost kind of like an SLO birthday episode. But <laughs> since we've started the podcast, Corinne and I have both finished our PhD programs, which is super exciting. We started as English graduate students who were trying to figure out what it means to write dissertations during mm-hmm. a global pandemic when all of our plans for writing a dissertation have fallen apart. I thought I would be in coffee shops with my friends cheering each other on as we worked. That's not what happened. However, we did it, and I'm very proud of both of us. (laughs) And to kind of celebrate our success and reintroduce ourselves to you all as listeners, we're doing kind of a reintroduction episode in which we're going to be talking a little bit about our research, what we're doing now, what we want in the future, if, you know, we can get past some of the different kind of despair that lingers over our existence right now. I'm very worried about like, there's the freaking tropical storm off the coast of California where they've never had to do a tropical storm warning before. So there's a lot going on. But, but I'm proud of us. I want to talk about our accomplishments and what we have coming up in the future. Does that kind of sum it up, Corinne? Yeah, I mean, basically the TLDR is we're going to introduce ourselves or reintroduce ourselves and give you some background into why we talk about the things we talk about. Mm, mm. Yeah. But before we do that, everyone's favorite segment. (laughs) You need to stop making fun of me for that. (laughs) Sorry, it was funny. Until someone tells me it's not their favorite segment, I'm just going to assume it's everyone's favorite segment. What's sparking joy? So, Corinne, what is What's Sparking Joy? What's Sparking Joy is a moment where we talk about something that we are reading, watching, or listening to that is currently sparking joy for us. So, Ayani, what is sparking joy for you? Well, I'm glad you've asked, Corinne. What's sparking joy for me? (laughs) I feel really really silly saying this, but uh, it's actually Pokemon Go. So... Which I is something you were going to talk play. about a book. Yeah, I was totally going to talk about My Happy <laughs> Marriage, which is an anime that I've been watching that makes me very happy and I cry a lot and it's beautiful and I love it. But also, Oh, that's also not a book. <laughs> it's not a book, but it was a series of light novels. So ah, okay. you can read it. <laughs> but no, uh, Andrew and I, as of recording this Sunday, went to Pokemon Go Fest yesterday and I have not turned on the Pokemon Go app in a very, very long time. Uh, But we had an excellent time. It was fun. I caught Pokemans. I took pictures of them. I got some like rare shiny ones and some super cute ones. And I'd kind of forgotten how much fun it was. Like back when it released in 2016 was probably the closest we'd ever been to world peace. People were exercising (laughs) together. We were all catching Pokemon. If you saw a a crowd of people just standing, you knew there was like a raid and you can just join and be friends. It It was a really special time. And I felt a little bit of that again this weekend. There was a lot of people wearing great like Pokemon clothes. Oh, I didn't tell you this actually. Um... I was taking pictures with one of the team flag banners, and this Mm -hmm. woman came over and was just like, you are so cute. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) That's got a lot of, like, drunk women in the bathroom at the bar energy. Yes, it did. It did. And she was just, like, with the hands and everything, she was like, you are so cute. And I was like, thank you, me and my, like, squirtle shirt with the matching pants. I did, like, you know plan this outfit. I worked on it. I wasn't actually going to wear the pants because we were in the city and I was like, these are going to get very dirty. And they did. I have to wash them. They're in the washing machine right now. Oh no, washing clothes that you wore. I know, right? Well, you really, like, <laughs> No, it's more that like I try to wear pants more than once, right? Because you don't want to mm-hmm. you don't want to wear them out. But anyhow. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> but it was, it was a really fun time. We had a really great time. Andrew and I did a lot of walking. I think collectively we walked between 50 and 60,000 steps. So 
my legs are tired, but my heart is full. But no, it was it was a good time. It was a good time. I'm glad we did it. And now I'm like back on it, sending presents to people and like catching weird things from the bathroom. So Pokemon Go, spark and joy for me. What spark and joy for you, Corinne? All right, so I am currently watching two Zeonzia, so high fantasy or immortal fantasy sea dramas, and I'm only going to talk about one of them at length. The one I will not talk about is called Lost You Forever. I deeply love it. You should watch it. If you're watching it, please message me about it. Uh, (laughs) Our DMs are open. (laughs) But the one that is a little bit easier to describe uh, that I'm also having a ball with is called Love You Seven Times. It is from the same production company that did Love Between Fairy and Devil, which is a fan favorite among both C-drama and K-drama fans, I think. And I think that Mm -hmm. one even crossed over into, like, American audiences in a way that C-dramas don't always. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, so the setup for Love You Seven Times is that the God of War's primordial spirit has been damaged because he defeated some evil demon empress. There's a lot going on with, like, reincarnation in previous lives that I won't get too much Mm -hmm. into. But essentially, he has to do seven love tribulations (laughs) to heal his (laughs) primordial spirit. So what that means is he has to find a love tribulation partner and go to the mortal world with her seven times to basically act out various romantic tragedies. (laughs) Oh, this sounds so sad. Well, it starts out super, super goofy because, like, the first time they do it by mistake. So the female lead is – she's kind of fun. She's, like, light and goofy. But they, like, accidentally fall into, like, the mortal realm well. And then they're – they become a boar and a tiger cub. And she's just, like, running around after him like, ah, like, what's happening? And it's it, like, starts out very, very goofy. And then – the one, where, the next one, where it's like official. Yes, you have. Do you have a question? Is that one of the love tribulations between a boar and a tiger cub? Yes, I think that counts as the first one. <laughs> That's a fairy tale I would read and probably weep over because, like, how could they be together but they love each other? I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> well, that one it ends up just being very, very goofy, and then the next one, they're like two military families and like a historical. Chinese drama setting essentially where but then the emperor becomes suspicious of them and so they like grew up together and then are engaged and fall in love but then one of their families falls and like it's a whole thing and it went from like fun and games to high tragedy like very quickly and I was like what this this was a a game and now I'm crying (laughs) (laughs) what But it's it's really interesting because it's these stories embedded in their lives as, like, immortals. So they're supposed to, like, leave it all behind once the mortal tribula- – once the love tribulation ends and they die. They're supposed to go back to the immortal realm and essentially act like it didn't happen. Hmm. But they just fell in love and, like – one of them, like, died for the other one. And, like, it was this whole thing. But then it's supposed to be like, well, all right, let's do it again. Oh, God. So the the setup allows for a lot of uh, hijinks to go oh, on, depending really? on who, like, gets out of drinking the, like, amnesia drink. So they remember who they are or they don't. And, like, what genre their love tribulation ends up being in and, like, all this stuff. So... I am about, I think, 15 episodes in, uh, and it's going to be, I think, 39 episodes. So, you know, plenty of time for things to go off the rails, but I'm having a good time so far. And they will. They will definitely go off the rails. Yeah. There's, like, it's, like, very obvious that the female lead who supposedly, well, and and was, (laughs) she's only 3,000 years old, uh, so she started out... (laughs) Well, the the male lead is at least 30,000 years old, so, you know, um, kind of okay. kind of an age difference. Uh, but she was transformed into a fairy from an auspicious cloud. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. That's amazing. But she's also pretty oh transparently going to be like the demon empress who was killed 30,000 years ago. Oh, okay. Well, when you said pretty transparent, I was like, well, she is a cloud, but that's not what you meant at all. (laughs) Anyway, so that's why I was only allowed to talk about one Zia that I'm watching and not two. So, love Mm -hmm. you seven times. Mm 
excellent, super fun. Lost You Forever, also great, but I'm trying to keep this brief, so I will stop there. I appreciate you. All right, well, excellent. That was a fantastic round of What's Sparking Joy. And clearly there was so much joy sparked because I was laughing, you were laughing, there were (laughs) smiles all around. So once again, joy was sparked both in the past and in the present. Using that as a very strange segue into what we're actually talking about, (laughs) the whole purpose of this episode, as we kind of alluded to at the very beginning, is functioning as a why, hello, we're Ayani and Corinne, but let's tell you what that actually means beyond kind mm-hmm. of just what you hear in our everyday episodes. And it's taking everything in me not to do the millennial thing and quote Jay-Z here multiple times during the episode, especially because we keep saying reintroduce, but I'm going to fight it. I'm not going to quote him. I guess to start, like, not to keep throwing the ball back at you, <laughs> but like, as I do for our guests, so like, who? are you beyond I guess the context that you can get from listening like what what do you think it would be helpful for our listeners to know about who you are as a scholar so I study and specialize and some of this will be repeating what you may know about me from past Mm -hmm. episodes but pretending that you know nothing um Uh, So I just finished my PhD in English, uh, which I got at the University of Florida. I specialize in children's and young adult literature, fantasy, and consent. So what that means a lot of the time is (laughs) reading a lot of young adult books that have sex in them. (laughs) But then thinking about how consent works in various contexts, both as it relates to consent and otherwise, and Mm -hmm. the reason I find children's and young adult texts interesting is because one of the factors that often complicates consent is age Mm. in -hmm. large part Mm -hmm. because of the differences in knowledge and experience that people may have uh, when navigating consent so no that's great I mean can I ask a question of that I know we talk Mm -hmm. about our research all the time but I think something that's interesting here is that you're often I guess you fall under the umbrella of a children's literature scholar, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the work that you're talking about is not for like seven-year-olds. A lot of the texts mm-hmm. that you're reading are more geared towards teens and young adults. So I was wondering if you could talk just a smidgen about how the audience that the texts that you read are for impacts how you think about kind of the research that you do. Yeah, so I think one of the things that draws me to texts that are both for and about young adults or teenagers is because it's in this space where, I mean, young adults and teenagers both as characters and as readers are often learning about like what sex is for the Mm -hmm. first time, maybe having their first sexual experiences. And one of the places that young adults do actually often go for information about sex is books. Hmm. And I think it is important – while I do think it is important to remember that fiction cannot be a substitute for actual sex education, like that is not (laughs) – that does not work. It is a place to think about the way that sex works like through story and through narrative, to think Mm, about mm -hmm. different kinds of experiences, to imagine what those experiences might be like as you figure Mm. out what you're into, uh, what you're definitely not into. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and maybe sort of balancing the urge to think about young adult literature and children's literature as didactic, so intended to teach, mm. uh, versus to entertain, uh, which mm. I think is mm-hmm. complicated and interesting when we think about sex and consent. Uh, right, sure. Particularly when, like, in the United States, sex education is largely inadequate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if people and young adults are looking to other spaces to learn about these things, what are they learning? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this is not the Corinne interview time, but it makes me think of another <laughs> interesting question, just kind of based on our conversations, because like something, well, one, you talk a lot about in previous episodes too, this balance of didacticism and entertainment. Like if you go back and listen to our episodes on sex education with Dr. Michelle Meek, that was one of the big threads of conversation was like, Mm -hmm. okay, how do they balance kind of some of these more didactic moments of like, we're going to the Planned Parenthood of the UK to learn about sex education versus like, you know, 
wildly antics are happening. Like there, there's a definitive kind of balance that's happening there. But something that I, I thought of is a conversation that comes up just in some of the like children's literature conversations that I've sat on the edge of, right, is the conversation of who's mm-hmm. doing the writing of these texts. Mm-hmm. Um, because more often than not, you have adults publishing. And it made me think, you don't do like a lot of research on fan fiction, do you? Uh, yeah, I'm not really a fan fiction person. There are people who are doing fan fiction studies, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is super, super interesting. But yeah, that's not really my my vibe. <laughs> so what draws you more toward, not to be like, this isn't something that you do. What is something that draws you kind of to, let's say, the particular genres of book mm-hmm. that you study? Yeah, so I <laughs> I generally specialize in young adult fantasy and mm-hmm. the fully honest answer is that's because it's because I like it. Uh, I mean, that's real. <laughs> yeah, like, well, just as a as a side note for anyone thinking about doing a dissertation, doing a dissertation, you should I the advice that I would give is to pick something that you like and care enough to spend years thinking about and reading Mm. because if I did there are some people who do a better job at writing about things that make them angry I am not actually very good at that and I I think that is also important work to write about like why a thing is bad or problematic or Mm -hmm, racist mm -hmm. or like that is good and important work but Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. me I prefer and do a better job when I'm writing about when I write about something that a text is doing well uh or in an interesting way that's good advice. But yeah, so I that is part of why I write about young adult fantasy because I think it is interesting in the ways it thinks about or or can engage with real contemporary problems but in unexpected ways because it is often in these alternate imagined world settings where it doesn't where authors don't have to reproduce mm-hmm. reality in mm-hmm. order to write mm-hmm. a quote unquote convincing story. They can come up with something else and then that that allows them to explore different possibilities mm, that can mm-hmm. – and this is something that I thought about in my dissertation that, like, sometimes are better than our reality, but sometimes are worse. Mm. Uh, and both are interesting. So really quickly, and then I will leave you alone, what is the name <laughs> of your dissertation? Well, my dissertation is super, super boringly named. I named it uh, – <laughs> I called it Consent in Contemporary Young Adult Fantasy. Uh, but part of the reason I called it that is so that I could save the good title for the book that I would like to turn it into. And that would probably be something along the lines of like the fantasy of consent and then some sort of Ooh. subtitle saying what it's about. So – Awesome. Well, that's Corinne, folks. She's great. I like her. So, Aani, who who are you? What do you oh, do? Who who is your question. academic persona? Oh, ooh, that's a spicy way to put it. Um, so to kind of follow the the outline that Corinne has laid out there in her introduction, uh, I'm also a relatively recent graduate from the University of Florida. I think we have officially crossed my like one year mark. So I graduated back in 2022 with my focus being in visual rhetoric. So I think a lot about comics and animation, but also other multimodal texts. Of course, I've been thinking a lot about podcasts recently because Mm -hmm. podcasts are just on my brain all the time, constantly. Um, But a lot of my research is in a way, also thinking about fantasy, but in a slightly different way. I think a lot mm-hmm. about monstrosity. I think a lot about desire. I also think a lot about erotics and erotica, um, which was a turn that I made during the PhD program, in a sense. I say that, but it's not 100% true if I think about my path here. It's like, <laughs> I want to say 75% true because I let myself really go and say, no, I'm writing about porn now, <laughs> which is not mm-hmm. what I was doing before. So kind of the joke, one of my dear friends, um, Kyle. Hi, Kyle. I know he listens to the show. So hi, Kyle. Um, one of the jokes that my friend Kyle used to have is that he would call me the robot sex lady, which sounds really awkward. Like, no, I'm not having sex with robots. But what my master's thesis on was about a graphic novel called Sky Doll, which I guess technically is now a graphic novel series in which the main character was pretty much a a sex doll who was designed. But there's a lot of things that happen there with gods and magic and traveling the universe and all that kind of stuff. And when I started graduate school, I was like, well, I kind of want to explore, see if I want to do something different, poke my toes in a lot of areas. 
But no, I came back to being the monster sex lady. And that's what my dissertation ended up being about is thinking about different ways that people desire monstrous bodies. Um, And when Mm -hmm. I say monsters, I mean that in a kind of fantastical monster sense. I'm not thinking about how we might say to someone, oh, you're a monster. No, I'm really thinking about like dragons. Why do people want to have sex with dragons? That's the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that I'm interested in academically. So that's kind of where a lot of my research sits right now. Though I will say, actually, I kind of do poke my nose in a lot of other directions. Like that's kind of the core of where a lot of the things I write about circulate. But I've also done, I've got an essay coming out that's thinking about sound in black horror Mm -hmm. films, thinking specifically about Lovecraft Country. Yeah, something that I think has been interesting seeing the way your research develops is how much you're interested in thinking about form and medium yeah as much Mm -hmm. as you're interested in thinking about topic like there's a way in which (laughs) you're almost as much like a a retcom person as you are a comics person because you are thinking about the like the rhetorics of different kinds of communication like particularly you know like thinking about podcasts yeah you know it's funny I've never thought of myself as a retcom person because the way I I don't think so much about text-based rhetoric but I guess that's not fair because I do think a lot about like I think you're it's the sort of like expansive way that retcon I'm not a rhetoric and communication person but like this the way it's sort of expanded to think about the way that different modes of communication allow for different things to be communicated like even think like when you say that you write about when you say that you write about porn for example you don't (laughs) write about like I don't know like the and I'm gonna be a little bit facetious here but you know the like Mm -hmm weird x-rated tapes from like blockbuster that people would rent you more right you sorry, write about comics blockbuster yes i don't know man sorry. That just that's the way that i like, think like thought about porn like in my childhood like that's where people got it that wasn't porn at blockbuster Girl, i don't know funny to me because like block i think there's only one blockbuster that's left i'm like oh that's why they stayed in business they're lucrative <laughs> poor okay right? the x-rated video store i should say well the way it's very like people think about porn as being very like seedy and like yes 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 no so finish the, your thoughts think that i don't know i derailed myself <laughs> <laughs> no i derailed you from laughing at the blockbuster reference but no you're absolutely right so like in in writing about pornography i'm not necessarily I don't write about real people porn, um, Mm -hmm. which again is kind of being a little bit facetious, but I'm thinking a lot about how pornography works as in comics, in comics as a form and in comics as a medium. And that's something that I want to think about more expansively. So for example, I'm not going to turn my dissertation into a book in part because it in a lot of ways was me thinking perhaps through these different ways that I think about my scholarship and I think about my interests. So one chapter was really thinking about cell phone games and form. Another chapter was Mm -hmm. really leaning more into comic studies and thinking through how a narrative was working and how it was constructed. And then the chapter that was on pornography was thinking perhaps more about the social constructs of pornography and Mm -hmm. what it means to have marginalized voices creating comics that are erotic texts and thinking about what the monstrous body can do when we're thinking about desire and desirability. And very key Keely, it's not really a word, but very importantly, who's allowed to be desired, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and also who's who's allowed to do the desiring. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so in thinking about that, form becomes part of the conversation as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we're thinking about like quote unquote, who's controlling the camera? How are we looking at the body? What parts of the body are the things that are being eroticized? So yeah, I've never thought of myself as a retcon person, but you kind of like restructured how I think about myself. Wow, we've had a mind blown here on the podcast. But I did teach multimodal writing classes and was thinking a lot about mm-hmm. how how we use form to convey meaning and to convey and to communicate. So yeah, maybe I was secretly repcomp all along. Mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> visual rhetoric is there in the title. So, you know, of the I guess it's not of the degree, but of the concentration. So that's kind of who I am. I'm all over the place. That was fun. I don't I don't feel like I get to talk about my work so much in detail anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Now that I'm not directly tied to the Academy in the same way. 
oh, you know what I should have said for what's sparking joy for me? I got my New York Public Library card and now I can go and hang out in their like research areas and <laughs> get them to send me things from JSTOR, which is very exciting for me. <laughs> so kind of bouncing off of that, I know something that we say all the time is that this podcast grew from an overlap of our interests. And it's kind of a phrase that we throw around a lot, but I mm -hmm. think from us really sitting and talking through the things that we research, it really does rise to the surface that there's a very distinct interest in, A, how fantasy allows for a particular kind of both escapism, but also deep introspection. Mm -hmm. That's something that both of us come back to. But then also how I'm going to say society. I'm You guys can't see me, but I'm gesturing very hand wavily, like society thinks of, thinks through, thinks about sex. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where this show came from. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of what we do here. Yeah, the overlap. <laughs> so <laughs> to throw it back in your court, Karim, what is something you mentioned, right? A couple things that you're thinking about, but what what is the future look like for your scholarship, for your work? Yeah, so I am currently a postdoc with the university writing program at the University of Florida. I am starting that as we record this week Woo, <laughs> as the semester job, starts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for that, it's primarily a teaching postdoc. So I'll be teaching classes on uh, writing in the disciplines. Uh, so specifically writing for engineering. I'm teaching a themed class on challenged and banned books or, or the ways that challenging and censorship work in youth literature and culture. Yeah, um, I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and then on the, I don't know. I'm I as I do this, I will need to like figure out the sort of balance between Corinne as teacher and Corinne mm. as researcher. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd also mm -hmm. like to work on some other more research based projects. So obviously the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have, I have an article in the works on consent in Laura Olympus. We've done some episodes on Laura Olympus yes. for the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. for that article, I get more into essentially when Apollo sexually assaults Persephone uh, and how the comic is engaging with the rhetorics around consent. I'm also thinking on working on an article on uh, Megan Whalen Turner's The Queen's Thief series and disability, which mm -hmm, is something mm -hmm. I'm going to pull back out that I wrote early in grad school. I wrote a conference paper version early in grad school. Uh, How and then, long ago was that? I that I don't remember if that was the first or second year of grad school, but it was pretty early. Yeah, I was going to say that was definitely pre pre pandemonium. So mm -hmm. wow. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's going to need that, some polishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely going to need some polishing. I'm going to need to work it up a bunch. But it's another way that I think that fantasy is interesting. I have also been thinking about the way that disability and the depiction of disability works in the fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think mm -hmm. that series, A, for some reason has received, I think, no critical attention that I am aware oh, of, uh, despite being super influential it's, it's kind of like a sleeper hit it also was mm. a really big hit on book talk i think maybe a year ago and the first oh, book like had a huge boost in sales again so it's also interesting and in, like from a circulation perspective but yeah and then i'm also uh as, as i think i mentioned thinking about turning my dissertation into a book so trying mm -hmm. to balance putting that sort of on pause for long enough for me to sort of get enough distance from it to be able to mm. revise it without being so like in my feelings about it the way that you know yeah. people get around the defense process god uh, yeah but maybe we should do an episode on that one day like <laughs> what is maybe it we like could, yeah we can maybe have some other guests who have also done this whole dissertation mm -hmm. thing that's an idea all right noted but yeah uh what are you working on research wise right now Ayana? like looking more forward yeah uh so a couple things. I've got a, a couple things that are <laughs> in, in the pipe. So I actually have an essay that I need to write on Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. I've done a few conference – well, no, I did one conference paper version of it and actually a blog post version of it that I can link in the mm -hmm. chat. But I need to expand it out into kind of a full essay length piece. Which is going to be exciting because I haven't had to do something like that in a while since finishing mm -hmm. the diss. 
but I'm looking forward to that because it's thinking a bit about posthumanism and black girlhood. And so I went and did an academic's favorite thing of grabbing a whole bunch of articles that I have yet to read, but they're very exciting and they're sitting there. Um, so I can think a bit about how Kipo is playing with ideas about race and belonging by having mm -hmm. kind of this group of people that are mutants, that are animals that are given kind of the ability to speak. And they're kind of like demi-humans. They're like uh, animal-human hybrid mm -hmm. people things. So I'm excited about that. And it has a deadline that's coming up. Kipo oh. is an animated show that people can watch on Netflix, right? Yes, 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 yes. There are three seasons. And part of that work is me watching the show again. So that'll be fun. Along with that, I'm actually working on an edited collection with my friend, Dr. Samantha Bogus, um, that is looking at the cross-section of our research. She's an animal studies person. So we're looking at the figure of the chimera, which is kind of like an animal monster hybrid crossover place. We've got a whole bunch of essays for that. That's exciting. Now it's time to find a publisher which mm. is a task all on its own. Not quite a research task, but also kind of in the umbrella of this yeah. work we do as researchers. But something that I'm playing around with in the back of my brain, you mentioned distance from the dissertation, right? Mm -hmm. I think I, when I finished, I was really excited about expanding my second chapter on comic pornography into like a podcast series. But I think I need more space from it and mm -hmm. to try to work on something large like that. So instead, I think I'm going to try to take a portion of my first chapter that looked at the comic When I Arrived at the Castle by Emily Carroll and then looked at a short called Good Hunting, uh, animated short, I should say, that was originally a short story by Ken Liu uh, that was turned into an animated short for the also on Netflix um, animated anthology Love, Death, and Robots. And mm -hmm. I might pull out a section on when I arrived at the castle and try to turn that into an article because I also so Emily Carroll is talked about all the time people love her work but when I arrived at the castle is not one that I've seen a lot of common there's a lot of commentary but not a lot of critical commentary on mm -hmm. I think because in part it's really layered and complex text so people are taking their time to pull through it there is a lot on through the woods which was one of her was a short story collection that she did mm -hmm. but I think when I arrived at the castle is really important, and there are lesbian monsters in it. So Re that's, really that's quick, really quick side note: Emily Carroll is kind of one of those interesting spaces where our areas kind of overlap because mm -hmm. Ayani has done a lot of work on Emily Carroll, and she illustrated the graphic novel adaptation of Laurie Hal Sanderson's *Speak*, which is sort mm -hmm. of the seminal YA sexual assault problem novel yes. that most people mm -hmm. think of when they think of depictions of sexual assault in young adult literature. So that's mm – -hmm. mm -hmm. maybe we should do something about that at some point. So actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm actually – so something that I do is that I teach a course with the Sequential Artist Workshop in Gainesville as part of their uh, – I think it's a year-long like comics – comic creator not an incubator, but like comic creator program for people mm -hmm. who want to make comics, for people who are beginners, people who are advanced, et cetera. And I do a class called Modern Comics Exploration, which I'm gearing up to do again in November, which I'm very excited about. But I'm also thinking of doing kind of a smaller four-session class that's open to anyone who wants to take it specifically on the work of Emily Carroll. Ooh, and I'm thinking, yeah, of having one of the classes be about speak. She just came out with a new novel, though, so I'm trying to figure out how that can work because I'd like to do her new novel. I'd like to do When I Arrived at the Castle, and maybe maybe what I'll do is like selections from Through the Woods and then her like online stuff to have a day that's specifically about speak um, because I guest lectured in one of your classes, in one of Corinne's classes, mm -hmm. about kind of a how to read comics kind of a thing, but we used mm -hmm. examples from speak to think it through, and it was really interesting how she used a lot of her horror technique in illustrating that text. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll also throw it out if you wanted to come and like talk to the kiddos. They're not kids. <laughs> They're, this is not for college. They're adults. <laughs> if you wanted to come talk to the class about how perhaps Speak was transitioned to a comic, how that things were adapted, that might be fun. 
we'd have to talk about that. That's not a thing we figure out on air, but I, I, I'm vibing with the way you're talking about how it's a very pointed kind of overlap between our work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you can see, we uh, end up with a lot of overlap, both in our yep. research and in our teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aoni is a very regular uh, guest lecturer in my classes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And if I can loop you into being one in, in mine, that'll be fun. But I mean, not to philosophize about our friendship, but I think that's one of the reasons that we work so well together is that there's almost this baseline respect for the kind of work that we do mm-hmm. because we can see the ways that it's that it can touch the things that we think about very deeply. So when you talk to me about the research that you're doing, there's no convincing that needs to be done. I'm already mm-hmm. kind of in at the ground level, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, friendship. It's great. (laughs) Transitioning away, though, from thinking about our research, let's think a little bit more freely. I know we usually every episode do kind of like a what sparking joy thing where we touch on something that's bringing us happiness in the moment. But what are some things just general swaths that you like to read outside of your research. I'll also say watch because I know I do a lot of watching nowadays. But generally speaking, even listen to what are what are some things that don't necessarily come up in your research? Yeah, so so I do I, I do want to start by saying I do like to read young adult fantasy. And the joke has been that I don't know how to read currently <laughs> i am i am illiterate because everyone writing a dissertation in english basically it becomes difficult to read the things that you read for fun while you're doing your dissertation and doubly hard when the things that you read for fun become the thing that your dissertation is about yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i literally forgot how you put words together for a period of time so you know i get it so I do like young adult fantasy, but I haven't necessarily been reading a ton of new young adult fantasy lately, and I'm hopefully looking forward to being able to start doing more of that. Uh, but so that that being established, <laughs> I'm sure this will come as a surprise to no one, but I watch a lot of Korean dramas and an increasing number of Chinese dramas. <laughs> Your face when you said that was so funny. Like, why do you seem exasperated with yourself? <laughs> because it's just so like... It, it has become such, like, a part of my personality in a way that's, like, a little <laughs> bit embarrassing. <laughs> so I started watching K-dramas around the time we started the podcast, so in the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then about a year ago, I think almost exactly a year ago, I picked up uh, Chinese dramas, which now I've been watching an increasing number of. They're harder to watch because they are very long. <laughs> So long when you're like Ming Lan was like 79 episodes. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. So, so, so your average K drama is 16 episodes. Some are 12, and the long ones are 20 or maybe 24. Mm-hmm. But your average C drama is like, I think they made a like legal limit that they have to be 40 episodes or under. But some of the longer ones from before that are like my favorite one, uh, the story of Ming Lan, is 73 episodes long. Like, they're so long. So so many episodes. I don't know. Anyway, I'm in it now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Question. Uh-huh. Do we have the counts? Do we have the tallies of how many C-dramas and how many K-dramas you're up to oh, yeah. at this I'll, moment? I'll pull, out, I'll pull up my uh, notes. <laughs> my note in my notes app where I write down the dramas that I've seen. <laughs> uh, so... For K-dramas, I think I'm at 119, and two of those are ongoing, or like I'm in the middle of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then for my C-drama list, I am at, I think, 18 or 19, if I add the two that I'm currently watching. But like, <laughs> saying 18 or 19 C-dramas in a year is a lot, because like, remember, yep. again, those are very long. <laughs> I was going to say that's more like 45 if it's we're going by the same count that K-dramas yeah, do. If we scale it with mm-hmm, K-dramas. Mm-hmm. Scale for inflation. <laughs> also, another reason that it's a funny joke that I watch K-dramas and C-dramas is that I speak neither Korean nor Mandarin. So nope. I am really reading subtitles all the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that aside, I also um, – 
I've been reading a lot of webtoons because it doesn't feel like reading. So those are web comics. Do I'll fight you, but no, you're right. I get it. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't feel like reading the same way reading a book does. Mm, I think, mm-hmm. and I, I could maybe also get around it if I listen to audio books, but I've never really gotten into that. But yeah, I've also I also listen to podcasts, which is probably not a surprise. <laughs> But yeah, Aoni, what do you currently like to read, watch, and listen to outside of your research? That's a great question. So (laughs) because we've blown up my whole life and I'm now a retcon person, all of it is technically potentially my research. The comics, the podcasts, (laughs) the audiobooks. Who am I anymore? Um, But no, I I think the balance of my media intake is I watch a lot of anime i'm usually watching about one or two every season Mm -hmm. i've definitely slowed down in my in my 30s i was going to be mean to myself and say something else but in my 30s i've kind of slowed down (laughs) um especially now that there are more legal ways to acquire anime than i used to do in my youth i used to be like what download five series at once yes um so i do watch a lot of that I tend now when I'm reading comics, I read a lot of webtoons, which was a habit that I think has extended from when I used to read a lot of web comics. Like I used to read web comics in the morning, like they were my daily mm. news. Mm-hmm. And I had like very, very long lists of favorites and bookmarks and all that kind of stuff. And there's still some web comics that I read that are not part of like tapas or webtoon or something like that. But the webtoon app makes it very easy. And I know I've actually had some conversations with comic creators about the downsides of Webtoon, mm. um, which I think is very interesting. So it's a, I think it's a space to watch over the next couple of years or so if you are a comics person because I'm, I'm curious what kind of – because, you know, let's just say it is not only the television and film industries that have their problems with paying their creators. We'll put it that way. Yeah, so definitely an uh, influential platform, but not always for good. Yeah. So, you know, capitalism. Also, yeah. side note, a lot of Webtoons do end up, because Webtoon is a Korean platform, a lot of yes. Webtoons have been and are being adapted into K-dramas. So that's another overlap space for us, yeah. I think. And anime, actually. There are quite a few mm. that have been picked up and animated as well. Which is which is interesting. I haven't watched any of them because I don't tend to read a lot of the action webtoons. I read more like <laughs> Yumi Cells or Yeah, a Gisbet. lot of the like romance or rom com webtoons I think become K dramas, or at least the ones that I more often watch. But also, you know, All of Us Are Dead, which is a zombie mm-hmm, mm-hmm, story, mm-hmm. was a webtoon before it became a K drama. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think there was one Tower of God. That had an anime adaptation. And then I think God of High School was another one that people were excited about. So anyway, I read a lot of comics online, but also I find now – so I've never been a big two reader. I don't read a lot of DC and I don't read a lot of Marvel. I used to. I'll, I'd have waves that I would come in and out. My dad is a comics reader from when he was a child and my spouse Andrew also reads a lot of comics. So every now and again, they're like, Ayani, you need to read this. And I'm like, wow, this Cassandra Kane Batgirl run is fantastic. And they threw in the Lazarus pit and then I stopped reading it. Um, but I do buy a lot of kind of indie comics. Uh, mm-hmm. I like I like reading a lot of work by independent creators, but also indie comics in the sense that they're not big too. So which is kind of weird, but I will read like a lot of image comics. Creator own titles is perhaps a better way to say it. I read a lot of creator own titles that I enjoy. I'm actually listening to an audiobook, which is fun for me. <laughs> I'm enjoying <laughs> it. It's it's really well read. I'm in part listening to it to kind of see what the difference is between like audiobooks nowadays and fiction podcasts. Mm. Like how the production is different, how the voice acting is different, and it's really interesting how similar they actually are um, Mm -hmm. and where those kind of differences are. I, you're going to laugh, but I actually don't listen to a lot, a lot, a lot of podcasts. I have like a pocket of podcasts that I listen to. Oh, I remember this from when we started the podcast. I listened to, you had far more interest in starting a podcast than me, but I was the one who listened to a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. I'll I'll find series that I enjoy and that I listen to. Um, but I think when it comes to, I don't know, just I, I tend to more go towards listening to music. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really into recently the LeVar Burton Reads podcast, which I think right now is un- unclear what's happening to it because it was through Stitcher and they haven't had a new episode since April. And ah. S- Stitcher, for those of you that don't know, Stitcher recently folded. The company is now under kind of Pandora, but it as Stitcher does not exist anymore. So like the app doesn't work. So I'm not sure what happened to like the Stitcher productions. But yeah, LeVar Burton Reads is great. I think it's it it hits that sweet note for me between like the fully produced narrative fiction podcasts and some of the mm-hmm. more scaled down audiobooks, but also it's short stories. So they're like bite-sized things. I don't have mm-hmm. to listen to them in order. I can pick an author that I like, listen to it, and then cry <laughs> if it's one of those kinds of stories. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been really into. Oh, and then Kryn bullies me into watching K-dramas and C-dramas. It's not that I, hard. It's not it's that not, much of a reach. It's really not. She, she'll be like, you should watch this. And I'm like, oh, it was already on my list actually. <laughs> I will so, say you know. I'm, having, I'm having a harder time getting Ayani and anyone really to watch C-dramas because they're so long. It's because there are 79 episodes, honestly. Well, and also like <laughs> I, they're not always available on – the, some of the more obvious platforms. So like mm-hmm, the one mm-hmm. I mentioned in What's Sparking Joy, I uh, Love You Seven Times, I like finally caved and got an Aichi subscription because <laughs> I really wanted to watch it. I like you. Vicky got me a long time ago because the like K-dramas are normally on Vicky or Netflix and mm-hmm. now a couple of other weird places. I have other feelings about K-drama streaming and rights and circulation yep. stuff that I will not get mm-hmm. into right now. But yeah, I finally I needed another uh C-drama source and I did it for Love You 7 times. So, I can't talk. I have access to two anime apps right now. So, it's, you know, and they're also on Netflix and Amazon Prime. So like you're you're not you're not alone in your questing for apps to watch more shows. Oh, I also watch movies. That's something. And Andrew really <laughs> likes films. So a- Andrew is very big into film as a medium. So we'll often Andrew go is Ayani's spouse, by the I, way. I plugged him already. I plugged him already. We were talking about being into comic reading. Um, uh, and and Pokemon Go. So Yeah, yeah. Andrew got his shout out. They know he's my, my spouse. <laughs> I appreciate you currently being like Andrew Sayani's spouse because we have had some confusion because people are like, your voices sound the same. Who's Andrew married to? And Grin's like, her. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> oh, oh, that's not as that's, that's funny to me. Um, but anyhow, Andrew, Andrew really likes film as a medium. So now that we're in a different phase of the pandemonium he's trying to kind of make up for lost time so we have been watching a lot of like film from home but also going to the theater and hiding in the back away from people so yeah that's kind of that's kind of what i'm into i still like books i buy them do i read them (laughs) all the time debatable but you'll you'll get there i'll get there half the time a good library is like what 50 percent read i don't have to read all of them someone else might read them Maybe you'll read them, Corinne, when you remember how to read. So, you know. (laughs) All right. So I think that is, again, always longer than we thought it would be. Everything is longer than we think it will be. (laughs) We're so bad at this. We're like 30 minutes. You know what? It's because we like talking to each other. That's the problem. (laughs) That's that's the issue. Can you be mad at us, really, for enjoying each other's company? No. Now. But you were (laughs) wrapping up. I'm sorry. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. So that's who we are. (laughs) I was gonna say something more verbose, but then you kind of had like a little moment. So <laughs> I think it really works because I went on my rent, and you're like, "Well, if that's it." <laughs> oh, we is who we is. This brings us to the end of our reintroduction episode. Did you learn anything new about us? Are there things that surprised you in our answers? Is this the kind of episode you would share with people who haven't listened to the show? before and would be curious what it's about you can let us know on social media you know i'm actually gonna ask you a question here corinne normally Mm -hmm. we say you can find sex love lit at sex love lit on threads instagram twitter x i don't know but 
we're most active on Instagram, right? Yeah. So you can find us on those other places. We will usually post about new episodes. But if you'd like to kind of get a taste of our personalities through our stories and other things that we post, I think Instagram is probably the best place. Mm -hmm. We do have an email address, but like that's if you really need us for something. Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram mostly at sexlovelit. <laughs> All one word. So what do we have uh, coming up? We've got some cool things happening with the podcast. So we have two episodes, so a two-part episode on the female gaze, which we have recorded but is in uh, production, let's say. Uh, so mm-hmm. that should be coming out. I, either will have just come out or what is about to come out after this episode comes out. Yes. This one's first. Yeah, so the, so the female gaze is coming soon. We've been talking about it, I think, since January. <laughs> it, it was just – it was a heavy lift. I think it was a heavy lift for us. And not in a bad way, but just in like we wanted to make sure we were doing it right. But we have recorded it, so that will be coming out soon. Uh, we're thinking about doing episodes on Judy Bloom's Forever because I'm teaching that in my class this semester. Uh, we also mm-hmm. we missed the wave a little bit, but we're also thinking about doing episodes on See You in My 19th Life, which started out as a webtoon that I read mm-hmm. as it was coming out, or at least as it was coming out in English and has been adapted as a K-drama. And mm-hmm. we still really like Who Loose the Great. So we need to actually watch the newest season of that. (laughs) Yeah. I think partially part of the reason that I want to make sure that we do it is people keep listening to all of our episodes on the great, including our first episode, which was literally our first episode. And I'm glad you all enjoy it. But also we got much better (laughs) since then. But yeah, so thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. And also thanks to everyone who's uh, been with us from the beginning or picked us up somewhere Mm. along the way Uh, and if you listened to our first episode on the great and stuck with it uh thank you uh (laughs) hopefully we're better at this now (laughs) i mean i would say that we are but yeah yeah this has been sex love lit thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time Bye. bye bye